Hi, Hannah. Hello. <clears throat> All right, so we thought it would be a good, good uh, way to kick things off. Just let you know a little bit about kind of how we're coming into the, um, the semester. Um, and I'll start, and then Hannah can jump and kind of move right into to our topic. But um, I'm kind of coming into the semester um, with a, a bit of a tension. Um, excitement, I'm really glad you guys are back. It's really good to see you. Um, but that excitement is kind of um, uh, bolstered with a little bit of sadness. Like, the masks are seriously bumming me out, and I hate that we have to be separated. Um, I hate that so much of what we do as a community has been impacted so deeply, so I'm holding that, that kind of attention. I'm also super intrigued um, about where you guys are actually at. Um, something really interesting happened in um, last semester. With the number of, of meetings that Stephanie and I had one-on-one -on -one with students was the smallest that it's ever been since I've been at the college for eight years. Um, the Priest Hill Center, which usually has lines, you know, usually you can't get a, an appointment for a while. They were wide open most of the semester. So um, <clears throat> very interested about how you actually are. That makes me wonder if you're simply doing, if you're kind of all in survival mode, sort of doing the things you absolutely have to do and then watching Netflix and just kind of surviving, rinse, repeat every single day. I don't know, but please come by and, and um, tell me how you are. Uh, we've been trying to pray for you and I wanna be able to pray for you how you actually, where you're actually at. Um, so, welcome back. Glad we get to do this together. Hannah, how are you? How, uh, how'd your semester end and how are you kind of coming in? Um, I shared this with uh, some of the RAs during RA training, like the beginning of the semester, but as I was kind of reflecting on the end of last semester and going into the break, um, to be vulnerable with you guys, I was pretty fried. I'm sure some of you guys can, yeah, I'm seeing some head nods, um, share that experience. Um, I think I was, there was a lot of factors that went into that, but um, throughout my life, I've experienced like bouts of anxiety, but I think it heightened <laughs> to a whole new level kind of when we finished the semester and entered into break. And I think part of that, I mean, obviously the pandemic plays a huge role and the fatigue that kind of comes in from uh, constantly being vigilant over social distancing or wearing masks or upholding the rules or asking someone to wear a mask or any of those pieces just kind of weighed on me to a certain level. And then on top of that, just the social and political climate and some of the polarizing ideas and thoughts just weighed on my head, on my heart. Um, I'm also back in school doing seminary and so my empathy for all of you guys went way up in terms of what you were dealing with as I was also studying for classes and trying to do finals as we were closing up the building. Um, I think my desire for there to be normalcy, you know, in August, we're like, okay, we can get through this, you know, like, it'll get better. And then all of that was shattered, you know, at the end of the semester when things seemed to get worse. And so I think all of those things together, um, and I do a great job of stuffing everything, you know, and not dealing with it in the semester. And so then when I went to go visit my family, in Arizona, everything just kind of unraveled. And my anxiety just kind of went through the roof. Um, and my worry and my fear and of, I don't want to repeat this. I don't want another semester like this. How do we do this? The, again, the social political climate seemed to like 
just weigh on me and like aspects of the church. So all of those things kind of happened. Um, and so over the break, I was kind of just in the midst of dealing with that and working through that worry and that fear and that anxiety. And I was so grateful because I had two parents who were not unfamiliar with anxiety and worry or suffering. And so um, there was one particular moment where I felt pretty overwhelmed. Um, and my mom, she was, you know, just kind of sitting with me and asking me some good questions. And it, but she seemed so calm um, in the process. And I just kind of asked her, like, are you not worried? <laughs> like, are you not overwhelmed? Like, I just don't know how we can do another semester, another year like this. Um, and, you know, she just graciously said, you know, Hannah, like, I am grieved for for those who are suffering. I am grieved for those who have experienced deep loss and who are in the midst of a lot of turmoil or tension and conflict. Um, but she's like, I am not anxious right now. And I was just like, how can that be? Um, and for her, and she said this in a very um, truthful way, she says, you know, I know that I know that God is working all things out for um, our good. And I think she could like sense or maybe even see my eye roll that like happened in that moment because I was like, do not quote that verse to me was my first response. I was like, I did not want to hear that. It, don't f it doesn't feel good right now. And I'm not sure that I believe that it is good. And so that kind of sent me though into a moment where I'm like, but she's saying this verse though with such a conviction and she's saying it in a such a way that she is experiencing some sort of comfort from this truth. So either, one, I don't believe this, this verse is true, or two, I don't understand it. And so that kind of sent me from break on to kind of truly study or seek to understand what this verse means and how can she get truth from this, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. Um, okay, why, why was your initial reaction to Romans 8 the way that it was? Yeah, I mean, maybe you guys have this, have had this shared experience. So we know, so Romans eight twenty eight, God works all things out together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, sure, many of this have heard that quoted. I think in my experience, though, in the past, I've had this verse quoted at me, uh, perhaps out of context or perhaps at a time that wasn't the most discerning. Um, or on a poster. On a poster, <laughs> yes. On a... Um, yeah, I like very vividly remember I'm a PK and our family went through a really rough uh, church split and I remember like the day everything happened, people kept quoting that verse to me and I'm like, I, I just was like, you don't know, you like don't know everything and it feels like you're saying that verse in order to like keep me from questioning or doubting or like you don't know how to react fear or lament, and so you're just saying that verse so that we like make sure that we're not doing anything wrong. And so it feels like sometimes that verse is used as a band-aid when we're fearful of lament rather than um, a truthful statement about God's character and, and about God's plan. And so it was interesting because I have this like negative reaction because it didn't feel good. And I told that to my mom. I was like, I, it doesn't feel good right now. Like I don't really believe that right now. And her response, and she's one who is definitely not unfamiliar with suffering in her life, was like, you know, Hannah, like, I, I don't think that evil and suffering are good. Um, but I also don't think that good here is equated with the fulfillment of all of our desires or 
what we think is comfortable. And so that, that again began to challenge me a little bit because for her, she's like, I experience comfort from this because I know that good here is God's sanctification. It's him working out redemption and restoration in my life that I play a part in this world, that this world is not about me. Um, and so if my role is to grow in deeper intimacy with Christ and to bring others into restoration, then I'm experiencing his goodness. And from that, I'm like being comforted. And so that was kind of our conversation about it. Yeah. So that's, you know, like every verse, um, very easily plucked out of context, right? So should we drop it in full context? Yeah. I think Hannah, Hannah's going to read uh, all of Romans 8. So um, it's going to be up there, but, but listen with Hannah as she reads, and then um, she's going to set some more context, I think, around, around what God is talking about here with, with goodness. Yeah, and I think, yeah, the reason, again, it's taken out of context is we don't read it in context. Um, and again, when I was questioning these things, I just went back to this passage, and I've read through this over and over. And so I know it's going to seem long, but I would ask that either you follow up along here, or if you have your Bibles, or if you so desire, like, underline or stri- like circle anything that strikes you. But listen to the hope and the gospel that this passage offers, and actually what, what the true biblical understanding of this passage is. There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this, this present are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we who, we who were saved now hope. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what, the mind of, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are no more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So one of those easy chapters in Scripture. Um, really one of the most theologically rich uh, passages, uh, chapters in, in Romans even. Um, but ultimately, the end there, it's, it's all about the love of Jesus Christ. Um, so defining terms can sometimes be important. You know, there's a whole slew in there, living. What does it mean to truly live? But on, in Romans 28, in our verse, that, that word good, can you talk about what does that mean if God's going to work out all things for our good what kind of good are we talking about? Yeah, and I think that's why reading this in context is so helpful to define that because, I mean, ugh, this, is, this is literally the gospel. There's no condemnation. We have been made heirs to Jesus Christ. Like, it's just incredible what we've been given um, in our salvation. And I was looking up this word good, and it actually, and I'm like, like 150 words into Greek one right now, so I'm no Greek scholar. <laughs> but the one word here is agathos, which is, it's like an adjective that means our goodness. So it's not our good as in like just our comfort or the, 
giving us all the desires that we want, but it's actually related, it's intrinsic to a believer, and it's related to the fruit of the Spirit. So it's him working things out for the development of our fruit of the Spirit, for our like goodness in Christ, for our sanctification. And that makes sense in this because it is talking about the hope that we have in Christ, to be conformed to his image, to be his heirs, to be set free, to no longer be condemned, to have a spirit who literally is sanctifying us, who lives in us, who intercedes for us, who is groaning on behalf of us, and then is saying that nothing will separate us from the Lord. And all of that, right, is so that we grow in goodness, in the image and likeness of Christ. Okay. Um, so if you shift the, the, if you understand what good is, how then now do you see the verse, right? Mm-hmm. I think when I understand that, it kind of shifts. Well, the way I was understanding the verse actually was revealing the way I understood my goal in life. So the reason I think for me the verse felt frustrating, not just because maybe it was said out of context or maybe not in the most discerning of times, but I think um, it revealed how much my goal in life is centered around wanting the fulfillment of my desires and wanting my own comfort. Um, and I think what this verse does when I understand its goodness, it shifts a little bit of what my goal in life should be as a believer and actually the comfort that is offered when our goal is in line with his plan and purposes and promises. So if my goal in life is to have the fulfillment of my desires and to be comfortable, and if, if that is what I believe God is promising, then this verse will never be true. If truly that's what I believe that this verse is saying, then all of us can attest, like, it's probably not true. And so it can't be that. But if my goal in life is conformed to, the, like, what the Lord desires it to be, which is truly to be in deep relationship with him and to bring others to know him, then this, this verse does ring true. Because we can look back and recount all of the ways the Lord has taken maybe really difficult things and use them to sanctify us and to make us more like him and to conform us into his image. And so it really does kind of require a rearrangement and a submission of our life and our goal unto him and what he has actually called the believer to live for. Yeah. Um, So with the shifting of of the goal, you know, if it's not comfort, if, if we're understanding correctly that that God actually will turn all things to good mm-hmm. for us how does that what does it produce in us like mm-hmm. what are some of the the manifestations of that yeah and I think that's kind of where I want to like leave you guys all with this because when I started to understand the biblical interpretation of this passage and what goodness meant and also it's been like a process for me um, as I've encountered anxiety I think knowing the biblical interpretation interpretation of this passage can produce a myriad things, but three come to mind. One, I think it actually does produce um, and invite us into godly lament, um, because this, this passage talks about creation groaning and the spirit groaning on our behalf. It's not at all saying that we can't present to the Lord our discomforts and our pain and our suffering. I think there's an invitation actually to go to the Lord with those things and to say, I am anxious, I am fearful, I am overwhelmed, I am suffering, I am hurting, all of those pieces and asking the Lord to take them and to care for you in them. Um, And so I think there is room for godly lament. And I think godly lament also uh, grief over our sin 
So also repenting of the ways I'm seeking control that that is causing unrest in my own life. Um, and I think in lamenting, we don't then stuff everything until it explodes like I did, but we are continually submitting it to the Lord, understanding and believing that he is God, like that he is sovereign over all, that he never wastes anything, and that he has plan and purpose. And then I, I think the second thing that this does is it produces uh, gratitude and joy. Um, and I think sometimes we don't know how to see lament and gratitude existing at the same time. And so there's this idea of like, oh, I just got to be joyful because then that will get rid of the lament. When actually I think that joy and gratitude can be a balm for places of lament and suffering, but both can be true at the same time. But when I am grateful, I am then able to maybe work through some of that grief. When I'm able to recount all of the things that the Lord has done in his blessing. So for this last semester, when I was like, I don't want another semester like this, I had to go through and start thinking about, okay, I do have a job and we are here and like in person and that is so beautiful and unique. And I have close friends that I was able to have dinner with most every single night. And the Lord did protect my health. Like there was things that I needed to recount. So then when I was experiencing some of those places of lament, it helped me just process them a little bit more. And it helped me to be like, okay, the Lord has not forgotten and turn his face away from me. He has something through. He has, he has been faithful. Um, and then I think from the, like, gratitude, we're able then to enter into hope and longing. And so lament and gratitude and longing. And I, I think this passage, if we know that God is working things out for our goodness, if we know that he graciously desires to give us all things, if we know that nothing can separate us from the Father, then we can long. We can like present our hopes and our desires before him and ask him to conform them to him like and to his desires and ask him to give us contentment and ask him to fulfill those all the while submitting to his will and his purpose. And so for me, like when I understand this passage, I think it does give me a way to think through and process for me my anxiety or my fear or my unrest. And I do that through godly lament, gratitude and longing and hope. Um, is it fun? No. <laughs> I mean, I would say, like, like, this is not about fun. It's not always painful and hard. Um, it's not usually fun. However, it is better in community. And so, for me, those places, lament, gratitude, and hope, are things that I would challenge each of us to do in community and express those to a dear friend and have them lament with you help you recount places of gratitude, and actually hope for you. Yeah. Okay, so is Romans 8.28 an antidote, an antidote to anxiety? No. I mean, I will probably always have an experience of anxiety in my life. Like, I think I will always have bouts, and the Lord might provide places of relief in some seasons, and other seasons it's more severe. But kind of like I said before, I think this passage has now given me a little bit more of a process through some of my, my own anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. um, okay, it's that time. Would you be willing to pray for us? And Absolutely, for yeah. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for um, 
uh, Mac and for this building of students, Lord, that you have brought here today. I thank you, Lord, for bringing them all safely back from break. And I pray that you would be with each and every one of them, Lord, as they enter into this semester, as they engage in their classes and perhaps coming off of syllabus shock and reacquainting themselves with friends after a long break. I pray, Lord, that you would um, give them wisdom um, as they work through places of grief. I pray that you would help them to recount places of goodness and of of joy and gratitude and the joy of salvation. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach them how to long for and hope in you. And I pray that you would surround them with people, Lord, who would speak those places of truth into their lives. Protect them, Lord, this week, Lord, and bless them. In your name, amen.